Welcome to a little bit of Florida here in California. This is where the early planning is taking place for our so-called uh, Disney World project. Hello, I'm Michael Eisner, and welcome to the Disney Sunday movie. Tonight, we're proud to share with you one of the great Disney movies of all time, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Today, I am proud to announce the Walt Disney Company is acquiring Lucasfilm, home of the legendary Star Wars franchise. I am glad to be at Disney World. W Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 483, and I'm here once again, not only to help you have the best possible vacation experience when you come to the parks, but I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with the podcast, videos, the blog, live broadcasts every Wednesday night over on Facebook, my books, audio tours, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. So having just returned from speaking and a research trip out to Disneyland and with Disney's D23 Expo coming up out there as well, and just because I love that park, this week I want to help you learn and explore and appreciate more of what that park has to offer. So this week, Jim Corcus and I share 10 secrets you never knew about Disneyland. Some involve the history, extinct attractions, and the imprint that they left behind, some fun facts, and much more. And then I'll invite you to share your favorite secret as well. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a new special Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have some announcements, including updates about upcoming WW Radio events and meets of the month and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. We'd like to welcome you to the happiest and most magical land in Disneyland, Fantasyland. In Fantasyland, you can ride King Arthur's carousel, spin around in one of the Mad Hatter's teacups, race through the cobblestone streets of old London with Mr. Toad, travel in mining cars through the dark forest to the Seven Dwarfs Diamond Mine, or take a canal boat to a land where you'll find the miniature dwellings of famous storybook characters. Or should you desire, you can visit the... Welcome to a most exciting adventure, a breathtaking bobsled ride down the icy slopes of the majestic Matterhorn. To assist you in boarding your bobsled, we ask that you observe the seating diagram directly overhead. For your own safety, please remain seated with your seatbelt fastened at all times. 
Hello, I'm Jiminy Cricket, and I'm going along with you on one of the most exciting trips you've ever taken. A tour of Disneyland, USA. We're going to visit Main Street, Adventureland, Frontierland, Tomorrowland, and finally, Fantasyland, uh, where I make my home, of course. Best of all, we'll meet Walt Disney himself, and he's going to point out the principal sights in his magic kingdom. Right now, we're standing in the railroad station near the entrance to Disneyland, just off the town square. The old train is coming and walks right on board. Listen, you can hear it whistling in the distance. No matter how many times you go to the Disney parks, there's always something unexpected to find, a story to discover, history to learn, and, of course, food to try. And this week, I want to take you not to Walt Disney World, but to Disneyland, partly in, in, due to the fact that I came back from a trip to Disneyland last week. I'm getting ready to revisit again this summer for D23 Expo and something special we're planning the day after on Disneyland's birthday, July 17th. So as I enjoy doing with Walt Disney World, I wanted to share some of my favorite hidden treasures and secrets and stories that you may or may not have known about the happiest place on earth. But of course, I cannot do it alone and I wanted to bring along someone who not only knows this park so very well, but himself is a master storyteller, a keeper of Disney history, and is full of secrets. Some I'm probably sure I don't ever want to know, but he is a friend, an author, a storyteller extraordinaire. He is Mr. Jim Corkest. Welcome back, buddy. Well, thank you so much, Lou, as always, and I, I certainly am full of something, I, and secrets is, is, is the nice way of putting it, I guess. Uh, and, and Disneyland, what a, a wonderful, you know, uh, uh, topic, because unlike Walt Disney World, I think people have a different emotional connection to uh, Disneyland, and in fact, most of the uh, Disney fans that I run into consider themselves... Uh, Disneyland uh, experts, Disneyland know-it-alls. And I think it's because uh, many of them, like myself, uh, grew up at Disneyland. I, I lived out in uh, Glendale, California, so uh, thanks to my dad's uh, Magic Kingdom Club card, uh, we were able to go a couple of times uh, a year. So I, I've experienced Disneyland as a kid, uh, as a teenager, which is an entirely different perspective and uh, also uh, as an adult. And, uh, uh, you know, when I moved out to, to Florida, I thought, well, the Magic Kingdom is just sort of a, a little larger version of, of Disneyland, and it's not. It's like a Twilight Zone experience. Uh, you know, uh, in, in fact, uh, the first couple of months I was out here, I was, I was the Disneyland expert, so I was trying to give people advice by saying, you know, uh, just go past the Pinocchio ride, and they'd look at me as if I had three heads, because <laughs> there's no Pinocchio ride at the Magic Kingdom. And um, I, I think Imagineer Tony Baxter uh, summed it up best. I, I, I always uh, go back to, to his description. He, he describes Disneyland as an intimate experience, but Magic Kingdom is a spectacular experience. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I think that there's something quaint and charming and still 
very special about Disneyland. I still remember the first time I went there as an adult. I was by myself. And you said that there's an emotional con- – I think we have an emotional connection to Disneyland even if we didn't grow up there because when I stepped foot onto – Main Street USA, and I saw Walt's lamp, and I saw Sleeping Beauty Castle. It was a, a very emotional experience, and it and it still is. And I don't just mean when I go and visit the Cozy Cone Motel and pick up my chili con carne, but I think mm-hmm. that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk about these. And look, when I put Disneyland secrets that you never knew, I'm using air quotes because look, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of things that we could talk about in terms of Disneyland's secrets and stories and hidden treasures and gems. And we didn't really talk about this ahead of time, but I said, let's just try and do like, I don't want to call it a top 10 list, but because there's so many, let's try and rein ourselves in and do 10 Disneyland secrets or stories that you probably never knew or didn't know. Cause I think it'll be a good opportunity for us to not only go back and forth, hopefully introduce people to some of these things and stories or give people things to look look for when they go, but a chance for us to, to talk about Disneyland as a whole as well. Well, because I think experiencing uh, Disney theme parks these days is quite different than from when we were growing up. I, I think today a Disney theme park uh, experience is more of a reservation uh, vacation you know, with the fast passes and the reservations at the restaurants and and all of that, uh, I, I see an awful lot of people rushing, you know, uh, to those reservations rather than uh, taking the time to just look around and, and enjoy. And, yes, when we come to, to secrets, I think it's important for the listeners to know that, you know, how many secrets really are there, but, but sometimes something that is common knowledge to you might be a secret uh, to someone else. So, for instance, and also there's significant differences between Disneyland and Walt Disney World in terms of the uh, attractions. For instance, the uh, queue line for uh, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad uh, out in Disneyland, they actually have a vein of uh, gold. And that's not gold paint. That's actually gold ore that uh, came from uh, Rosamond, California. And the reason I emphasize where it came from is that is the same area where they film scenes uh, for Apple Dumpling Gang. Hmm. You know, just a few, uh, 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 within a few years of the attraction opening there. And, and of course, there's an old-fashioned steam engine in the queue line out there at Disneyland, and that came from uh, the Disney film... um, uh, hot lead and cold feet. Now, for me, that's common knowledge. I've known that for for years. But the fact, you that, know, but, and and yet sometimes I'll tell people, and they'll go, "What? <laughs> what?" And and for them, that's a secret. So, as Jim, some people to, are actually to googling Dulu and I today. If something is familiar to you, realize that it it may not be familiar to everybody, and and also take it as a. Uh, uh, a reminder that the next time you're in the park, go go take a, a close look at, at at some of these things. So, so Lou, why don't you you start us off with <laughs> with uh, one of, one of those secrets that you like? Well, I, first of all, there's a couple of things. I love the fact that you snuck in a secret without because that's that's a typical Lou move for a top ten list. That's how I make my top tens like top twenties. I also mm-hmm. love the fact that people are probably stopping the 
the show or while they're listening, they're Googling hot lead and cold feet because they probably <laughs> never heard of it or saw it. Although it starred Jim Dale and Don Knotts, and yes. at the time, there, man, there's a lot of like Disney connection there. Buddy Baker, and it was a Ron Miller production. Like, mm-hmm. I love that uh, movie as a kid. Um, you know, but, but you know, the sad thing is, uh, you and I, we grew up watching Don Knotts films. Yeah. We've got an entire generation now who has no clue who uh, Don Knotts is, and and actually, there's a Don Knotts tribute just across the street over at, uh, at Disney California Adventure in the Little Mermaid attraction. Don Knotts was in that uh, film, The Incredible Mr. Limpet, where he gets transformed into a, a fish. And the animation done by uh, uh, Bill Teitler, who did uh, Stromboli and Pinocchio and Little Baby Dumbo getting a, a, a bath and, and all of that. And um, so Disney animators love uh, the animation, and so in the actual film uh, of Little Mermaid, at the end of the uh, Under the Sea number, if you look into the upper right-hand corner, you'll see Mr. Limpet. You'll see the blue hmm. uh, uh, fish with the Don Knotts glasses and, and the lips and, and all of that. And if you go to ride the attraction, while you're going through that... Uh, a uh, scene where where Flounder is is with uh, the Carmen Miranda fish dancers and and all of that. That's over to your left, and there's so much happening that you don't want to look over to your right. If you look over to your right, by a clamshell and not lit, is a a figure of uh, Mr. Limpet, and looking very much like a Don Knotts. But again, <laughs> it's it's not Disney intellectual property, so it's like. Well, is that really Mr. Limpet? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, all, all I can tell you is they didn't put it into the one out here at Walt Disney World. So, um, yes, yeah, so as we're explaining these secrets, we may have to explain uh, some of the uh, uh, backgrounds on, on some of these. So uh, let me share uh, 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 another secret here uh, about the movable snore. Uh, you know, when you uh, take... Um, uh, uh, Splash Mountain out there, um, there's a, a cave for Br'er Bear, and uh, he, he has his mailbox and the fishing pole, and you can hear Br'er Bear snoring. And, you know, what? that's a nice gag, and, it, you know, just a little nice additional detail. But the interesting thing is, is that snore is decades old. Uh, Pinto Colvig uh, who did the voice of Goofy, also did the voice for Grumpy and for Sleepy in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And there was one scene that was cut from Snow White where they're building a uh, bed for Snow White. And, and, of course, you would think that the expert directing all of this would be Sleepy, but Sleepy is sleeping, and he's just snoring away. <laughs> and so Pinto Colvig, you know, did did the snore, but that entire scene was cut, okay? So that's snore sound, Disney doesn't throw away anything. That, that's in their sound library. Uh, when they come at Disneyland to make a um, uh, mine train through nature's wonderland, you know, you go through the Rainbow Caverns, and there's that little town there of Rainbow Ridge. Well, there's a hotel, and in the second floor room, they have a snore coming out, and that was Pinto Colvig's snore from the uh, sound library. Now... When they're building bear country, you know, to, to to incorporate country bear jamboree out there, 
as you go past the Haunted Mansion, you know, there's this sort of mountain that you have to curve around to get into, uh, you know, where the restaurant is and the attraction and all that. Mm -hmm. And there's a little cave up the mountain, uh, and a snore is coming out of that, and there's a sign that it's Rufus. Rufus is one of the bears from Country Bear Jamboree, and and the gag is supposedly is that he's sleeping, so he's going to be late to the show or miss the show or or whatever. Well, then the land changes into Critter Country. So uh, instead of having the cave down below there, they they move it up towards one of the first uh, uh, dips, and so they have Rufus's cave. But then Country Bear Jamboree disappears. We've now got Winnie the Pooh there. And Imagineers figure, hey, people don't know who uh, Rufus is anymore, at least not out in, in Disneyland. So it makes more sense to make it Br'er Bear because, you know, he's prominent in the attraction. So now the snore is Br'er Bear's snore. Hmm. And that's one of my secrets of <laughs> Disneyland. But I see. I love it. I love it for two reasons. Because it's one of those things that you're never going to find on a park map. You probably wouldn't notice it unless you were specifically looking for it. And it is one of those things that people can go and seek out and find the next time they go to Disneyland. The other reason why I love that was because I was fearful of this list because I don't. I only have. We said we were going to do five each. I came up with six, and I'm like, I know that Jim is going to steal or use all six of mine first. So the fact that I at least to get one out before you give it <laughs> feels like a win for me. Uh, and as I was looking at my list, I tried to go with what I thought were the, the biggest secrets or maybe one somebody wouldn't know, or, or do I do it chronologically or some kind of – I'm going to stick to my wheelhouse, Jim Corcus, and okay. my secret has to, of course, be about food at Disneyland. This body All doesn't right. happen naturally. I work very, very hard at that, and I did a great deal of culinary research when I was out in Disneyland. I look forward to going back, um, and I said before, sort of one of my favorite places is – the cozy cone and the chili cone carne. I'm going to try and bring this full circle because one of my all-time favorite foods anywhere on planet Earth was actually invented in Disneyland, dot, 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 in a dumpster. Let me explain. <laughs> Let I me. think I may know this uh, secret. Of course but, I know these But, but please, tell, tell us. <laughs> See, I, I wouldn't associated with the cozy cone i would associate it with Frontierland. but well let's I, hear this secret and the reason why i'm going back and you'll you'll see where i'm going with this is and again i know you know this story but uh not long after disneyland opened in 1955 a few months later the founder of one of my favorite companies frito-lay right and there's fritos in the chili con carne mm -hmm. uh talked to walt disney and uh, agreed he agreed to let him open the casa de fritos in Frontierland, as you said, where they served typical Tex-Mex uh, enchiladas and tamales, Frito pie. Oh, how I wish I could have tried one of those. And the taco-up, right? It was a sort of a mm -hmm. taco-type salad. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, originally this was on New Orleans Street and then eventually moved over to, um, in, over to um, Frontierland by where... Uh, Rancho de Zocalo. Yeah, they, they, uh, yeah, it used to be uh, where the horse corral was, and after they moved out, yeah, Don DeFore's Silver Banjo moved into their uh, uh, original location there. But but yeah, where where there used to be the blacksmith shop, where uh, 
the blacksmith was uh, uh, who was it? Willard uh, Bounds, who was uh, his wife's uh, uh, father, who who used to be a blacksmith and a sheriff on on Indian territory. Hmm. So Casa de Fritos. Uh, so, over there. Right. So and they made all these, these Tex-Mex foods, but they actually didn't make their own tortillas or taco shells. Um, and because mm-hmm. Frito-Lay didn't themselves either. They actually uh, bought it from a nearby uh, Anaheim food distributor called um, Alex Food, uh, which was um, created by uh, uh, Alex Morales, who was originally a ditch digger, and he turned um, his love of, of making these his, his wife's tamales into an actual business. And at one point, one of the Alex Food salesmen saw a bunch of um, tortillas that were thrown away in the trash, and he actually suggested to um, the, the Frito-Lay people Making you making tortilla chips out of them instead of just letting them go to waste. And long story longer, um, they did that. The customers loved them, and then together, I guess Frito Lay and uh, Alex Foods worked together to mass produce these oh so crunchy and delicious <laughs> and orange cheesy all over your fingers and and jeans flavored Doritos, which means little golden things. And from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Like when they hit the market back in 66, I believe, it was something brand new. It was a huge well, hit. Nothing like it. Nothing like it at all. And there, Jim, there still is nothing like a good bag of Doritos. <laughs> and so that is my secret, is that one of my favorite and hopefully one of your favorite foods was actually invented in a Disneyland, for lack of a better word, it was invented in the Disneyland dumpster. Wow. You know, and and that and that's a true story. I I have I I know that for a fact, and and that's one of the the things that we all have to be careful about because everybody thinks they know everything about uh, Disneyland. You know, there's so many uh, books, there's um, websites, there's magazine articles, uh, uh, things like that, and and sometimes uh, people just believe stories are true simply because they're repeated. You know, or or they've seen it somewhere else in print, and if it's in print, it must be true. That's not always the case, but yes, this Doritos uh, uh, story is uh, uh, absolutely uh, true, and I, I don't think Disneyland really gets um, uh, the proper recognition uh, for that. But but again, you know, you're right. When you go to Disneyland, uh, you just have um, uh, some of the experiences. Are, are just the food, you know, and it's food that you can't get anywhere else. You know, I, I, I love uh, uh, getting the Monte Cristo sandwich oh. at the at the Blue Bayou or, or, or going up and uh, around the corner over there by the, the train station, get the uh, uh, mint julep, you know, and uh, you can't get that out here at Walt Disney World. There's like, nothing like a corn dog from the little red wagon on the end of Main Street, USA. Well, and, and, you know, the other thing um, uh, that I, I associate with uh, Disneyland, even though it is out here at Walt Disney World, is churros. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and again, you know, I just had to laugh at that Simpsons episode where, <laughs> where Homer is escaping Epcot, you know, and climbs over the wall and then asks for a churro. And, and the vendor says, yeah, for, uh, 14 bucks, <laughs> right. which uh, one of the reasons that's so funny is... 
that's not out of line <laughs> with, 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 with the fact that that little piece of uh, fried dough pastry and sugar and cinnamon costs like what three fifty four bucks now. But Homer, and, like us, gr- gladly pays for it and enjoys his little churro. So, <laughs> well, and and it was actually introduced at, at uh, here's a secret introduced at Disneyland in nineteen eighty five. And the reason for that is a, a food and beverage guy there um, in Fantasyland, uh, Jim Loman, who I believe is still working at Disneyland to this day. I, uh, he's coming close to retirement, but he's there. But in 85, they were going to open up um, this dance location called Videopolis. Mm-hmm. And I'm really dating myself of how old I am. <laughs> that, that, yeah, I was around when Videopolis opened. But, but again, you've got all these young people coming in here. You want something to really define this area as um, new and, and different and, and all of that. And so uh, uh, Jim went out to the Long Beach uh, Grand Prix event, and he saw his first ever churro booth. And he, he snooped around, and he saw that, hey, look, you know, all, all it takes is, uh, you know, this is very simple to do, and there's a, just a small warming oven. And, you know, uh, uh, following along in that uh, Disney tradition of trash cans and Disneyland food, <laughs> he snooped around in the trash cans and he found an empty box from uh, uh, at J&J Snack Foods. And because they, they would pre-prepare this stuff. And so these vendors would just buy it and then, you know, stick it in the warming oven. And so the, the next uh, uh, Monday, he phoned the company and said, you know, do you, would you like to work uh, with uh, Disneyland, you know? And, oh, yes, gosh, we'd love to work with, with Disneyland. But uh, Loman wanted something different. You know, you don't just repeat what's out there. You've got to plus it. And so uh, the original churros were only about six inches long, so he asked them to produce churros that were 12 inches long. And the other reason he did that was because uh, you could charge more for it. That's the Disneyland way. So, um, uh, again, his bosses didn't think this was, you know, well, I don't know if this is going to work or uh, whatever. And so he says, okay, well, we'll, we'll just do a, a, a two-week test run. And, and this seems to be uh, a Hispanic-type uh, food. So uh, we'll, um, uh, you know, we'll have a little cart and we'll have it in uh, uh, Frontierland. We'll, we'll uh, put it out by the entrance to the... Uh, to the Mark Twain there, and we'll see what the reaction is from from the people. So that first day, wheeling the cart down to that location, suddenly there were 30 people following. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I can understand that because I, uh, at a, I was at a comic convention years ago, and I, I smelt this wonderful, wonderful smell, and it took me to the back uh, of the room, and what it was was a vendor who was doing those... Um, uh, cinnamon coated uh, pecans and and cashews and all of that and by golly that smelled and and those are good stuff those are, I love that stuff so anyway in in those two weeks this was just a huge huge hit and so uh, when uh, uh, Videopolis opened they had two carts out there and that still couldn't take care of the demand and and so now there are a lot of churro carts, just like rabbits. They multiplied all throughout uh, the park there. And originally they were using propane, but they were, they were going each cart. Each cart was going through a dozen uh, tanks of propane a day. 
So, so they had to reformat it so that it, and again, propane, uh, you know, is highly flammable, explosive, whatever. So they had to change it uh, uh, to electricity. But uh, by golly, that, that's why there are churros in Disneyland today. Now, we don't have as much of them out here at, at uh, uh, Walt Disney World. But boy, at, at Disneyland, that, that's one of those uh, uh, treats that you get that, that remind you of Disneyland. Yeah, and even if you go to uh, downtown Disney, there is a churro cart that has like seven different flavors of churros. There's like a dessert, like there's a strawberry one and an Oreo one and a bunch of different. I need to go on another research trip. Obviously, I'm starving. I'm starving, by the way. So you need your next secret cannot be food related because I'm famished. <laughs> okay, so so we won't we won't de- deal with uh, Dole whips or or turkey legs or. Uh, 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 those type of things, and and do they have? They must have chocolate dipping sauce for churros too, as well, right? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because what is a world without chocolate? I'm <laughs> I, I'm I'm a unrepentant uh, uh, chocolate there. Okay, so it, it it's it's back in your uh, court, Mr. Mangello. Do you, do you have another uh, secret to share with us? I do, and I'm going to completely violate the rule that I just laid out for you, saying that it's not going to be food related. Um, because I thought this one was really interesting, especially um, in the past year or so when, when something was announced and changed at Walt Disney World. The Internet, as it sometimes is wont to do, lost their collective minds and, and sort of talked about how Walt wouldn't have wanted it this way. And it's never been this way before. And I, and I can't believe that we're doing it. And I'm speaking about the introduction and the sale of alcohol at the Be Our Guest restaurant um, during dinner time inside the restaurant mm-hmm. in Magic Kingdom. And again, people said this just goes against what you know Walt Disney World and Disneyland was always about. And to that I say nay-nay, because you may or may not Do know. you say nay-nay, I, I say? say <laughs> I, because I tell you, Jim Corcus, and I know you know this, you could at one time buy alcohol in Disneyland and I don't mean at Club 33. That's right. And and you probably don't mean at, uh, there was, uh, before Club 33, there was a, a, a little, uh, uh, behind the Red Wagon Inn, uh, there was a little uh, place called the Hideaway or the Hideout, which uh, was a private area where Walt would, would take uh, uh, guests and VIPs and all that. And there, there was alcohol there as well. So I know you're not referring to that. What could you possibly be referring to in terms of alcohol at Disneyland? Disneyland is dry, dry, dry. (laughs) Well, so I want to take you back before Disneyland opens to around 1953, where there's this concept for a land known as Holiday Land, which would have Mm. been a turn-of-the-century town park. It would have had places for picnics and horseshoes and a baseball diamond and maybe a, a, an open field where they can have performers or, or a circus or whatever. Yeah, it, sort it, of... it, it was for convention groups and it was for companies who would want to go out and take a company picnic or whatever, and it was called Holiday Land because every day is a holiday at Holiday Land. Exactly, and it was this idea. Remember, Walt was a nostalgic. He was a romantic. He loved this idea of you know, rural America in, in bygone days with the open fields and the gardens and families just just mm-hmm. playing together. So the idea was it could be a, a sort of picnic area where guests could celebrate kids' birthdays or other holidays or uh, they could use it for uh, convention groups. They had a lot of catering spaces. 
and they would also be able to decorate it for the holidays. Um, and so in 1957, Disneyland opens a nine-acre version of what is called Holiday Land, and there are a lot of... Um, you know, if you had to almost associate Holiday Land with a land in um, in Disneyland, it would almost sort of be related to Disneyland. You'd sort of see um, slides that looked like Conestoga wagons, and um, there was, you know, a wooden drawbridge, or all these things that sort of made you feel a little bit like it. But it was this large, open, nine-acre, grassy picnic area. And so if you're trying to figure out where this is, it's near where New Orleans Square currently is um yeah uh, basically the baseball fields are where the show building of um uh pirates is now and the show building for uh, haunted mansion is where they had the big um red white uh circus tent mm -hmm. from the mickey mouse club circus that they brought out there so that they could then put in a, a stage there and picnic benches and all that so you'd have a covered uh, area for that to happen. So yes, it's just right on the other side of uh, uh, the berm, right on the other side of the railroad tracks. And uh, uh, at one time, there was an entrance into Frontierland uh, uh, around that area where the baseball fields were. And, and <laughs> safety is most important at Disneyland, <laughs> so you had to walk across the train tracks <laughs> to get into Frontierland. So make sure you look both ways before right, because you do it, that. Because Holiday Land, when it opened, so this is like June 16th, I think, 1957, it, you, you didn't enter from Disneyland. It had its own admission gate. And to yes. give you a sense of how big it was, it could fit 7,000 guests in there yes. at once. And it had all those things. It had the playgrounds and the baseball fields and the, the volleyball fields. That, like you said, that giant um, circus tent was mm -hmm. in there as well. And, of course, there was food and concessions in there, including beer, which was yes. not sold, which was, you know, absolutely prohibited in Disneyland, save for Club 33. And it only lasted uh, probably a little more than around four years or so. Um, mm -hmm. and, it's well, and, and again, beer was allowed there because uh, a Walt, um, I talked with like Milt Albright, who, who was in, in charge of that area. And he said, Walt felt that it was not in Disneyland. Mm -hmm. It was outside of, of Disneyland, and he and Walt also felt that a good picnic, you need to have a beer. And so, not only was there beer, Mister Mangello, but here's another secret: it was supplied by the Red Wagon Inn from inside Disneyland. And once you bought it, it was unlimited beer. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, it, it, apparently people got drunk, and instead of going to that one entrance where they had to pay admission and buy a ticket book and whatever to get in, they found other ways of simply walking across the railroad track or stumbling across the railroad track. And after they had a lot of beer in them, it, it you could see why Walt did not want beer in the park, right. is that people were rowdy, uh, they were howling. You know, and, and it just made it very uncomfortable uh, for a family experience. But that, I mean, that, look, that, the, that was not the reason why it closed. I mean, the, it was, uh, again, think about this. It's this wide well, open... Well, there were a lot of reasons. Right. I the, mean, it's... the year before it closed, the Santa Ana winds came and a little, literally ripped the tent to shreds. And also the fact that uh, during the week, it was pretty dead. Right. You know, if if you were going to have a 
convention or a group, usually you had it, you know, on the weekends or during the holiday. Right. Plus, I mean, there was no shade. There was they no. you couldn't. There was no lighting for nighttime. There was no restrooms. And look, it didn't. It it didn't feel like Disneyland. The other but no, the other, no. It, 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 what a terrible way to tease a kid. We're going to Anaheim, <laughs> yeah, and right. and we're going to go right where Disneyland is, but it's on the other side, and you can't go into Disneyland. So you can hear the Mark Twain, <laughs> but you can't go there and see it. And you can hear all these wonderful things, but you can play baseball. You can do a sack race. You can do a pie-eating contest. Ooh, it'll be so exciting. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting, though, Jim, when it closed um, in 61, they didn't use that space right away. It sat there no. empty for a couple of years until they started to build New Orleans Square and, and uh, Pirates and, and Haunted Mansion. Well, you know, and, and, and one of the secrets you've probably never seen is, is you were saying, yeah, there were no bathrooms there. Actually, they did have a, a, a men's and female uh, bathroom, but it was, my gosh, you've got 7,000 people, and you've got <laughs> one restroom for the men, one, and, and, and they weren't even permanent restrooms. You know, they, they're like those uh, uh, little porta-potties, you know, that, that you see, and so... Uh, 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 I, I was told that uh, you could literally see Walt's face drop that the longest line was for the women's restroom, <laughs> you know. And so Walt had to bring in um, what are called honey wagons, which are uh, ones that you rent on uh, uh, movie sets because, uh, you know, when movies go out filming and all that, they have the trailers for the stars, but... You know, for the for the extras and and all of that, you've still got to have you know restroom facilities and all of that. So bought that, and then here's the the sad ironic thing is the year before the park closed, Walt finally anteed up the cash to build permanent restrooms. So there were permanent restrooms right. <laughs> on the other side of the Frontierland Railroad track that nobody could get to. But but they were still workable and and they were often used by the uh, maintenance staff. But uh, but yes, right, you are. Uh, and, and Walt had Walt had alcohol within breathing distance of Disneyland. And so, uh, tell me if this is, is true or if this is urban legend that that no good idea obviously ever dies at, at Disney. And uh, back in the early 80s, not long after Epcot opened, they uh, imagine sort of resurrected this idea of having this um, open air space where people could get together and, and celebrate, not, not sort of a, a, um, a catering space, but because there was still so much land that was sitting empty, even with the, the mansion and the pirates building there, they had these old picnic grounds. And with Epcot and specifically World Showcase being built in Florida, they had this idea to not necessarily create a, uh, the same type of, of picnic village, but more of an international village similar to World Showcase and Epcot Center. So now in Disneyland, they would have this open air area where a number of different countries and cultures could have this open-air celebration going on all year long. There would be like an Oktoberfest area and a, a uh, an English medieval-type show and, mm-hmm. and there would be something from mm-hmm. Norway, and it was going to be called World Holiday Land. Yes, yes. 
and and again, just like everything at Disney, there were those ideas that were tossed out. But but here's the secret, and maybe one of your listeners is is old enough to remember this because I remember this as a kid. Is uh, Walt didn't want uh, people to feel that they were forced to buy you know food in Disneyland. Well, you're in Disneyland. You want to eat. You're going to have to pay our prices. As you went towards Disneyland, towards the ticket booths, if you went over towards the left, there was a fenced area, and the the uh, uh, and and uh, it, it's the the wire fence, and it's covered by this landscaping. But if you know it's there, you see that there's a little pathway, and you go in, and there's this concrete area, and it's fairly large, and it's got picnic tables. And Walt had it there so that if you brought food in your car or whatever, you could leave Disneyland, you know, get your hand stamped. I always remember getting my hand stamped. And you'd go to the car to get your food, and you could go and eat in that picnic area and, you know, then dispose of the trash. And then you could go back into Disneyland. And I'll bet there are not a lot of people who know that or a lot of people who remember that. And I don't know how long it lasted but I know it was there in the, the 70s and maybe even into the uh, early 80s there. Hmm. But let's share another Disney secret. Let's share Nazis in <laughs> Disneyland. You know, that it sounds, sounds like, like a B movie, it doesn't sounds it? Like a, no, it sounds like a Mel Brooks mo- movie. <laughs> <laughs> Everything springtime, sounds like a Mel Brooks movie. Springtime for Hitler, part two. Yes. Um, what... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I just uh, remember, you know, some of the uh, coming attraction gags at the end of uh, History of the World Part One, and I was like, oh, I would love love to 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 see some of some of those, you know, the ones they was doing. All right, uh, Nazis in Disneyland. Okay, I I, I think a lot of us uh, understand that uh, Nazis are the are the bad guys, right? And uh, the SS are, are, are the worst. And, you know, even today when, when you try to come up with a, a villain, you know, you, you go to the Nazis. And, and in fact, after World War II, it was, um, you know, it was the law that Nazis could not uh, emigrate to the United States. If you had been a Nazi, especially in the SS, you were not allowed into the United States. You're, you're a bad person, and we won, so there. But there were uh, ways of um, slipping through that, especially if the United States felt, well, we needed this expertise. And, of course, that became uh, known as Operation Paperclip, because when an application came in, paperclipped to that application uh, from the United States uh, military or the White House or whatever, it's like, we need this person. So, you know, uh, Werner von Braun, who, uh, uh, you know, was not just a, a Nazi, he, he, he was a high-ranking member of the SS, and it was obvious it, it's his V-2 rockets that are, you know, being shot into England and whatever. Uh, thanks to Operation Paperclip, he was brought into the United States because with his background in uh, rocketry, America didn't have a rocketry program, and and so the Russians were grabbing some of these Nazi scientists, so America needed to grab some. And so, uh, uh, you know, it was like, well, he really wasn't in the SS. 
you know. Uh, he really wasn't a, a... Wait, there's these photos. There, he's in this uniform. He's with, no, Well, he really was. And, uh, of course, uh, Von Braun worked with... Um, uh, uh, became the first director of NASA, but uh, in the 50s worked with uh, uh, Disney on the uh, Tomorrowland shows. And one of the people he worked with closely was John Hench, and the two of them uh, came up with that uh, TWA uh, Moonliner, which was the big icon uh, in uh, in Tomorrowland. And, and it was basically uh, Von Braun's um, V2 rocket, but with fins that... Mm. Um, uh, Hench uh, added, but uh, but uh, von Braun wasn't the only one who had a uh, a Nazi who had uh, an impact in, in uh, Disneyland, and and I know I'm gonna uh, mess up this guy's uh, name, but uh, Hans Joachim Scharf, um, and uh, he's a mosaic artist, and most of them know uh, know him as doing um, uh, the mosaic in the uh, breezeway of Cinderella's mm-hmm. castle. And uh, also with uh, his daughter-in-law Monica doing uh, the mosaic that's at the entrance to, entrance to the land, you know, uh, he, he's world renowned and um, and 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 excellent. You know, Dorothea Redman designed the murals for Cinderella's murals, but it, it was Hans there who who did you know that hard work of you know snipping the tiles, putting them together, you know, putting the gold between the the tiles. The, so he did all the grunt work, all the all the hard work uh, uh, for that. Well, he also did work um, uh, for Disneyland, uh, for New Orleans Square. You know, when New Orleans Square opened in uh, 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 1966 there, uh, you know, he did the tabletops and the Creole Cafe, the, the mosaic thresholds of the French market, uh, he worked on, on some of the design work for the, the specialty shops. Um, you know, beautiful, beautiful uh, work. However, this guy was a Nazi. He was a high-ranking SS officer. In fact, he was known in Nazi Germany as the master interrogator. In, in fact, there's an entire book that has been written about his career just as an interrogator. And he was so effective because he didn't use torture. He he was just he was just uh, tricky, you know. If you were being interrogated by him, he'd go, "Well, you know, we know you have uh, 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 some men who are going to be, you know, hitting uh, uh, Dunkirk and and all." And it, it's like, "Well, how do you know that?" Well, I didn't know that until you just told me right now. <laughs> Uh, type thing. So, uh, so he wasn't one of those. Uh, we have ways of making you talk. Uh, he he was a great uh, manipulator. In fact, he was so great that yes, he was part of Operation Paperclip and uh, brought over uh, uh, to America so he could teach his techniques, his interrogation techniques, um, uh, to uh, uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, military. And uh, uh, so after the war, that's what he was doing for a couple of years. And then in uh, 1950 is uh, when he uh, um, concentrated on uh, art, artwork and, and mosaics, something that uh, he had uh, uh, studied earlier in his youth, you know, before World War II. And so when we look at certain things in Disneyland, um, those are legacies of... Uh, Nazi SS officers 
uh, from World War II. And uh, again, I I think we just go, oh, that's nice, and we move on. But that's a secret of Disneyland. Well, and I think it's it's interesting, too, when you mentioned the Castle uh, Breezeway in Walt Disney World. You know, we talk about how the, the teams of artists and designers and imagineers do all this amazing work and save for tributes that either exist on Haunted Mansion tombstones or on Main Street USA windows, the artists never get a chance to to sign or get recognized for the for their work. No. The, the Breezeway is one, I think, notable exception because Sharf's and Redmond's name are actually there in the mosaic on the bottom right-hand corner right by the entrance door to what is now Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutique. Yes, uh, uh, very, very out of the ordinary because, because you had artists like uh, uh, Emil Curry, Sam mm-hmm. McKim, all of this, doing it, you know, uh, Ken Anderson, Claude Coates, providing all of this beautiful artwork. And uh, again, it was all just Disney. Everything was, and, and uh, you know, the, the uh, people I've talked with over the years, uh, they didn't uh, uh, feel any regret over that, any, you know, grumble of, well, I should have, you know, people should know I did that and sign my name and all that. Uh, because, you know, a lot of things at Disney come uh, through collaboration. You know, that, that that is with animation, which is one of the great collaborative arts, you know. Uh, even though you can sometimes pick out individual animators like a Ward Kimball or a Glenn Keane or whatever, even then they don't do everything of that character. You know, they have assistants, there are in-betweeners, there are cleanup artists, there's ink and paint, you know, uh, there's uh, special effects animators who might do something in, in that scene, there's the layout artists and then the background artists. So, so they're part of a, of a bigger whole. And, and uh, those people, uh, Imagineers who worked on Disneyland and then later Walt Disney World, uh, that, that was that same philosophy of, you know, I'm going to contribute this, but uh, I know that there are others who are going to be uh, adding to that, you know. And, and, and so uh, after Walt's death, you see more of a dichotomy because Walt would help blend those different artistic visions together. You know, after Walt's death, you get something like the Haunted Mansion where, you know, the beginning of the uh, attraction is very much, you know, uh, uh, Claude Coates and, and Roly Crump and, and 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 very much a uh, a scary theme, and then as you go through the the last half of the uh, uh, attraction, you're getting more and more um, Mark Davis, and Mark Davis uh, known for his um, uh, humorous uh, uh, take uh, of all of these things. I, I I don't think people realize when they're going through the haunted uh, mansion and and they're going through the graveyard. Uh, that the the last figure that you see before you exit to the hitchhiking ghost is a uh, female opera singer, mm-hmm. because it's not over until the fat the girl fat sings. sings. <laughs> 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 that's why that's why the female opera singer is you know what oh a female opera singer in the graveyard okay I guess so you know but that's why it's it's there and so you know that that that's the mark davis type of uh, i guess that's another secret <laughs> secret of disneyland see we sneak um, in other see we sneak in little secrets among some of the bigger secrets <laughs> 
so do you have another secret for us? I do. I do. And and it's going to take us to one of my favorite lands in, in any of the Disney parks, world and land. Um, and you would think it's, it's food land or cozy cone land, and it's not. Main Street USA, Jim, is one of my favorite lands uh, on both parks. I, I spend sometimes a lot of time there just wandering and, and exploring, and there's easily... 10, well, well, we were secrets. even talking before the broadcast about you visited recently, and the moment you s- set foot on uh, Town Square there in Main Street, uh, uh, an entirely different feeling uh, uh, overwhelmed you. Absolutely, yeah, and it still does. And, you know, when I was researching my very first audio tour, which was Main Street USA, I was fascinated at, at how much I had learned about the Walt Disney World version. And now when I go to Disneyland... I spent a lot of time there recently just doing nothing but exploring every little nook and cranny, every little detail, and I, we could easily do a top 10, top 20, top 100 things. We, we uh, could easily do an entire show just on Main Street uh, USA. And maybe we'll have to we'll have to sort of come full circle and do that. But one of the things that, that fascinates me about Main Street USA on both parks is their genesis, the evolution of what they looked like in 1955, 1971 versus what they look like today because many of the storefront facades actually were home to individual shops, both in world and in land. And so to give you an example of some of the things that were in Disneyland in in 1955, there was Bank of America, there was a a tobacco shop, there was Ellen's Gift Shop, the uh, Gallon Camp, which is a, a shoe company, Gibson's Greeting Cards, a glass blower, grandma's baby shop. Not that you don't go buy babies in there. I think it was probably closed for <laughs> babies. There was the gem rock shop. Uh, let's see. There did, was also. Did you cover Wurlitzer and? I have. I'm, I'm sort of going buy, somewhat buy alphabetical. A ham at the uh, uh, market house. Uh, there was a pen shop. Ham at the market house. Imagine carrying that around Disneyland. The because uh, what else do you want to bring mom when you come home from Disneyland? But a giant ham. Uh, the Polaroid camera or, or center. Or a giant Wurlitzer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to Disneyland. I brought home this world. But I love that, right? Because I love the fact that you could bring home china and glass, jams and jellies. Um, there was the, the Town Square Realty. There was the Upjohn Pharmacy Shop, the Watch Shop. Like you said, the mm-hmm. Mule, the Worldster, the Yale and Town Lock Shop. And, of course, the Intimate Apparel. The what? The Intimate yes, the Apparel Shop. Yes. The Wizard of Bras, which, which presented by the Hollywood Maxell Bra Company of Los Angeles, you could uh, because this is, is what you, that that guy. The reason he had that shop there was he was a good friend of uh, C. V. Wood, mm-hmm. who was the first president of Disneyland, and and so C. V. gave him a uh, uh, a bargain rate, and I I think the guy gave C. V. A, a kickback, which is. One of the reasons C.D. Wood, <laughs> was was Wood, Wood has his own story, yeah. Maybe well, and, maybe. Uh, and, and so that's why it was there, and, and that's why uh, that shop had that little um, front porch, that mm-hmm. raised front porch, you know, so that the kids couldn't easily, you know, look into the shop. And also the front porch was there so that uh, men who didn't want to go in with <laughs> – uh, their spouses or or whatever to browse around intimate apparel uh, could uh, just stay out there on that front porch waiting. Yeah, and and it, and it's that's one of my favorite places when I can get to, a chance to sit up there just to sit 
and watch mm-hmm. the the people go by. But it really sort of had it had sort of two rooms to it. There was the Victorian themed sort of front room, and there was an old singer sew machine from I think the mid eighteen hundreds. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't, rem- if you are a, an old time Disneylander, you may not remember it because it only lasted about uh, six months or, or so yes. before yes. it closed. Um, obviously, I never saw it. I don't know if you ever had a chance to see it when you were there. I mean, I've, I've read no, a little about no, what was there. It, and... Again, it was before my time when it was intimate apparel. But but like you, I, I've had a chance to go over there and you know stand on the porch and. Uh, uh, then when it was converted into some other shop or or, or something, I, I believe I was able to walk up the steps and on the porch and, and get in there. I, I think that may be closed off there now yeah. uh, to get inside the building or not. You know, right across the street from that, though, right across the street from that is uh, the uh, mezuzah. Mm-hmm. Um uh, basically, what happened in 1995 is uh, a former uh, Disneyland president, Paul Pressler, goes, you know, at Walt Disney World, uh, they celebrate Hanukkah. You know, they have that whole, you know, d- display at the American Adventure. Here at Disneyland, when we get to the holidays, you know, it's all Christmas. It's all Christmas d- decorations. There's there's nothing there, uh, you know, to uh, promote uh, uh, Hanukkah. And so in 1995, what the what he did is uh, on the other side of the the street from Intermittent Apparel there, uh, uh, New Century uh, Jewelry, uh, which used to be the Upjohn Pharmacy where you could g- get a free little bottle of vitamins and yeah, if you went to the the Yale Lock Shop, you got a, a free little Disneyland key, uh, and and uh, Upjohn also had free postcards. Ah, all right. Uh, anyway. Uh, Right across there, at uh, before the entrance to New Century uh, uh, Jewelry, there's a, a, a door, and and again, at, you know, we've got these businesses, and we're all so familiar about, you know, the upper windows are are real names of uh, people who worked on Disneyland, and you know, sometimes they're sort of gag references or whatever. Anyway, on the door, uh, right before Upjohn is, is the. Uh, uh, name Dr. Benjamin Stein, and Dr. Benjamin Stein is is not a real person and was not involved, to the best of my knowledge, not a real person. I, I did research. I couldn't find any connection with him and uh, 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 Disneyland. Maybe one of the listeners will uh, leave a comment and say, oh, yes, he was Paul uh, Pressler's uh, you know, doctor to, to, to do this, I, but I couldn't find anything about that. And uh, the door says, um, uh, have a fever, have the flu, come on in, and we'll cure you. But right to the, the side of the door is the uh, uh, mezuzah, which is a, a piece of uh, parchment uh, with uh, verses from the Torah. And uh, it's usually like in a little uh, uh, metal case or whatever. And it, it, it's there... Uh, uh, on the doorway, uh, uh, following the biblical command, you know, to inscribe the words of uh, this uh, Jewish prayer, you know, on the way into uh, your home. And then one of the reasons that was done uh, was so that uh, during the holiday season, if you look up to the second floor, uh, you'll see uh, Hanukkah decorations, you'll see a menorah in the window. 
And uh, again, something that uh, only exists for that uh, brief period of time. And uh, that is not, by the way, if, if you go look and find that mezuzah now, that's not the original one. The original one was literally stolen in 2004. You know, uh, there are Disneylanders who love Disneyland so much that they would steal the apple in the Pinocchio, in the Snow White ride, right? So now it's that hologram type thing, projection. Uh, so that was stolen, but, but then it got uh, replaced. And so, but again, how often are people looking at the doorways, looking at, right. at the facades on Main Street? Mostly it's like, I've got to run you know, so that I can get onto Space Mountain, I can get onto you know Splash Mountain. I can, you know. But get that's why we Star like. Tour. But that's part of the of the purpose of talking about things on Main Street, so they understand as they walk by why that was there, why that raised porch is there, what was behind that door. Because the interesting thing too about the Intimate Apparel Shop was it was not only a shop, and, and look, I, I've talked about certain things being my holy mm-hmm. grails of collectibles. If anybody has a bra from the Disneyland Intimate Apparel <laughs> Shop, I don't want to sound creepy, but I would almost be curious if it was somehow branded with Disney, you know, Disneyland on the tag. But it was almost, it was a, a store and a show too, right? That Wizard of Bra, Wizard of Bras, um, I, <laughs> I feel so uncomfortable saying it. Um, well, was on like a little. See, now, now I'm going to blame you because I have never in my life seen one of those. And and yes, it does sound creepy, but I'd I'd love to see one if it had like a, a Disneyland tag or right uh, uh, something uh, uh, to that. But but now you're in, encouraging. You know, there there's so many people selling fake stuff on on uh, uh, eBay. I. Uh, uh, people know that I'm also interested in, in comic books and comic strips, and I've written about those. And, and lately there's been a, a big flood of uh, original art forgeries on the uh, uh, Internet, you know, especially since it's Jack Kirby's uh, uh, 100th birthday. And if you don't know Jack Kirby, it, it, it's quite appropriate for a, a Disney podcast because He's the guy who created most of those Marvel characters of uh, uh, Thor and the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four and uh, all of that in, in collaboration with uh, uh, Stan Lee. I, I, I see them both. I, I don't think either Lee or Kirby did work as good separately as they did when they did it uh, together. But anyway, because it's his 100th birthday, there's a lot of uh, 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 forged original artwork out there, this is a sketch that Jack Kirby did, uh, and a lot of Charles Schultz stuff is out there. Mm-hmm. And what is sad is people are selling this, and they're selling it with this uh, uh, certificate of authenticity. And and I want to say, look, if you could forge that artwork, it doesn't <laughs> occur to you that I could believe that you're forging a certificate of authenticity, especially since you're signing Schultz's name with a T. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> you know, um, which is a very common error for that to happen. So now you're encouraging people to don't uh, forge, uh, don't to forge. have fake <laughs> Disneyland bras well, uh, on on eBay, rare vintage, uh, uh, intimate apparel. Uh, you know, okay. And, 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 but then again, I'm going to have people coming to me and go, "Is this?" And I'm going to have to say. Now, is this the type of bra that was made in the 1950s? <laughs> this is the type of material. Well, all right, let me make it less creepy because what I'd rather see more than the actual bra itself was, 
you know, the, uh, the this was like I said, the, this Wizard of Bras was this. It was a little show. It wasn't a, it wasn't a a, perp, a person. It was like a host on a little revolving stage and had a taped. Yes, yes. It had a taped message where he and if and there was also a little, um, you know, optical illusion. So as you moved from uh, looking at, at one side of the stage, you would see the. Uh, you would see sort of the um, the the model's attire disappear, and you would see their their undergarments, their their corsets, and yes. their pantaloons, as it were. Um, so I would have loved to have seen, you know, if anybody has pictures of that actual the Wizard of Bra exhibit. Um, not well, that I'm. Well, see, not, and and again, in, in those days, people didn't take pictures right. because you're limited to the number of photos you can take. Uh, unlike today. And then also, this is an interior uh, thing. And again, uh, a lot of cameras in those days were not um, uh, uh, good enough to, to take a precise uh, uh, picture uh, inside. And then again, as you say, this is a, uh, an illusion. There's a, there's a projection in, in all of this, and trying to take a picture of that, uh, even with some of today's cameras, is... Uh, you know, uh, uh, challenging. And, uh, uh, but again, people visiting Disneyland today, have, have you taken pictures of, of, of some of these things? Did you just assume they were always going to be there? Did you always assume there were going to be live mermaids in, in the lagoon? Did you always <laughs> assume there was going to be a flying saucer ride? Did you, did you always assume there was going to be the Welsh's, uh, uh, grape juice uh, uh, stand that in the back had a hand-painted mural of Fantasia by Ivan Earle, who was the art director for Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> he, he actually, during the production of Sleeping Beauty, Walt sent him down to the park and he, he painted, you know, this mural on, on the back of this uh, uh, juice stand, you know. Um, did you assume that that was all going to be there? You know, uh, Disney is constantly changing. It's constantly in flux. And and one of the things that um, uh, really impresses me about Disneyland, and, and the last time I was physically there was about uh, a year and a half ago, and uh, was how much they're able to pack in mm-hmm. to such a small amount of space, and, and yet it doesn't intrude on, uh, on other things uh, uh, in there. You know, and, and, and Lou... If people are really excited about these secrets, they need to realize that Jim Corcus has Where can they just go for released. More? Where can they go for more of these secrets? Jim Corcus has just released a book called Secret Stories of Disneyland, Trivia Notes, Quotes, and Anecdotes, which you can get at Amazon.com. And, and uh, I never thought I would write a uh, Disneyland uh, trivia fun fact book because everybody has, and, <laughs> and I know that there's more coming. But my uh, publisher sort of challenged me, and he said, well, but nobody could write a book the way you could. Nobody knows the stories that you know. Can you come up with some different stories, some of which I've shared uh, uh, today on uh, this podcast, or can you come up with a different perspective on a a familiar story? And so I took that as a challenge, figuring I'm never going to be able to do this, but this is sort of a fun exercise. And before I knew it, I, I had a book with almost a hundred uh, two-page uh, little secret stories, and uh, uh, fortunately, people seem to be enjoying it. 
and uh, you might as well. Secret Stories of Disneyland, trivia notes, quotes, and anecdotes. I also write the Secret Stories of Walt Disney World series, but I take that one a little bit more um, seriously because uh, nobody is writing about Walt Disney World. You know, so it's important to get that information out there and document it. But Disneyland, everybody's writing about it. So I include stories like the um, Main Street, uh, since we're on Main Street, the Main Street uh, uh, train station clock tower. You know, the Mm -hmm. clock itself was one of the final things put in there because that hole, that space there is where they put a camera so that they could film um, Disneyland being built. So remember all those wonderful uh, speeded up versions you saw of the 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 shops being built on on uh, main street the camera was right up there in the uh, clock tower on top of the train station well when disneyland opened one of the biggest complaints uh, uh they were continually getting was the time is wrong on the clock and so each day they'd get that complaint and poor little maintenance guy would have to come out with his ladder and he'd have to climb up to the clock and reset the clock and uh, sure enough, later in the day, complaints still kept coming back in. And so the concern was, well, what's wrong with, with the clock? You know, is, is it the heat? You know, is that affecting the gears? You know, things can expand, contract, things like that. Um, you know, uh, is, it, uh, is it sabotage? You know, uh, there, were, there were some workers who were really uh, upset, you know, uh, having to work so long on... Uh, uh, getting Disneyland open on time, and so in fact, uh, uh, on opening day, they they snip the uh, wires to the uh, uh, flight to the moon attraction, so it so it wouldn't uh, work. So, oh my gosh, is this uh, uh, you know uh, uh, sabotage of, of that going on? Is is there uh, something wrong with the gears? You know, did did they just not buy the the, the top quality, whatever? So. They tracked, you know, every movement, and they talked to the maintenance guy, and he says, well, you know, I come to the bottom here. He says, I, I, I phone uh, 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 City Hall, Town Hall in Town Square there to, you know, get the, the correct time. I set my watch. I climb up, you know, the ladder. I reset the, uh, the clock exactly, and uh, they watched, and, yep, that's exactly what, what he was doing, and so they kept following every moment. Finally, they stationed somebody in, in City Hall, you know, well, uh, let's let's check on the time when the phone call comes in or whatever. And so the phone call comes in, and the secretary picks up the phone, and she looks out her window at the time on the clock and tells the guy the time and then hangs up. <laughs> and that story and uh, almost 90 more are in Secret Stories of Disneyland, and, uh, but you heard a couple of stories today too, that aren't in the book. So if the, the book is successful, I've got a couple more stories for a, uh, uh, a second volume for, for that, uh, to happen. Well, but, how about this? If this show is successful, if you, the listener like this show, I still have more, you know, Jim has more. Maybe I we do. Can, why don't we do a part two, 10 more secrets and stories that you but never knew you about have Disneyland. Got to, you have got to, you know. Uh, send in your comment. You have got to 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 vote. You have got to let uh, Lou know because Lou and I can sit and talk about uh, 
uh, anything. I did. We could talk about <laughs> bugs on Main Street. <laughs> I, I look. I know that I have five more still on my list. I know you have hundreds more on your list mm-hmm. in and out of your book. So let and, us and, know. And again, you know, how often do you talk about Disneyland on this show? And I and, and sometimes I say not often enough. And you know, look, I've done a number of shows going back um, almost to the beginning where. You know, why every Walt Disney World fan needs to visit Disneyland. You know, um, mm-hmm. uh, I did a, a, a family guide to Disney. I've done a, a number of shows. I'll link to them in the show notes because I've really fallen in love with this park. I go once or twice a year. And even if you consider yourself a Walt Disney World fan, I think that you do need to go and explore and enjoy all of the secrets and the stories and the culinary arts that Disneyland has to offer. The, the park where Walt walked. Listen, little Jimmy Corcus, I love you, brother. I love what you do. I appreciate you in so many ways. I love having you be part of the show. I will link to where they can find not just the secret stories of Disneyland, trivia notes, quotes, and anecdotes book, but your other 14 or 13 books. And if you, the listener who's sitting around this virtual table with us, have a secret or a favorite Disneyland secret or story, Share yours in the comments on Facebook. Call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. And Jim, my friend, we will definitely do this again soon. Okay. Take care, Lou. Thank you so much. Thank you, buddy. time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details, not just what you see, but sometimes what you hear. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online forum for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week's question was very simple. It was a quote that I asked you to identify who spoke it and where it came from. And your quote was, the future is truly in the past. And again, thanks to the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct, know that it was Dr. Marsh, Felice Rashad, from Dinosaur at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Well, I took all of the correct entries, randomly selected one, and again, last week you were playing for the 102 Ways to Save Money for an At Walt Disney World book, all seven of my virtual audio tours, both of which you can find at the WW Radio Shop, the WW Radio Magic Band 2.0 cover, a bunch of stickers, a WW Radio hot and cold travel mug, and a mystery prize, which is something that I pulled from my collection that I was going to put up on eBay. I'm going to send that to you as well. And by you, I mean that last week's winner, randomly selected, is Aaron Balau. So, Aaron, congratulations. Because you used the form, I have your shipping address. I will get it out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So Happily Ever After, the new fireworks show in the Magic Kingdom, replaced Wishes recently, ending its 13-year run in the parks. If you haven't seen it, the show is fantastic. It's a very moving moment. Not that they should move it to Pittsburgh, but I want you to tell me, what show did Wishes replace? That's your question this week. What fireworks spectacular did Wishes replace oh so many years ago? You have until Sunday 
May 28th at 11.59 p.m. To enter by going to www.radio.com, clicking on this week's podcast. There's an entry form right there. And this week, you're playing for a little bit of a different prize package. I'll send you the book, the audio tours, the cover, and the stickers. But I have a new special prize that you can't buy. You can only get it by winning it here at the Trivia Contest. Maybe I'll give some away at D23 Expo as well. But I have a new WDW Radio pop socket phone holder. Now, so many of you have so many different types of phones, it was hard to match the case with the owner. But this is a small expanding stand and a grip that fits any phone. And it also comes with a special mount you can use in your car or on your desk or computer anywhere. Again, it's only available here. The brand new WDW Radio Pop Socket. I'll try and post a photo of one in the show notes. Again, you have until Sunday, May 28th at 11.59 p.m. to enter via our online form. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much again for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I sincerely appreciate you and the fact that you choose to spend and share some of your time with me. And because your time is so valuable, I'm going to make this quick. But I have a couple of announcements and things I want to share with you very quickly. First, I've been sharing a number of new types of videos recently. First, for my trip to Disneyland and a couple of weeks ago for my first sneak peek at Pandora, the world of Avatar at Disney's Animal Kingdom. And they are interactive 360-degree VR videos from the Disney parks. They give you the ability to literally, from your phone or your desktop, look up and down and all around as you ch- as you choose in 360 degrees to really help you give you the sense that you're there. I've posted them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Radio and our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Radio. And yes, you can use your VR or PlayStation VR headsets to give you that full 360 VR type experience. If you go to DisneyInVR.com, that'll take you right to the Facebook page. And please, speaking of Facebook, make sure you turn on notifications for live videos and posts as I will be coming to you live from Pandora and other locations in the parks in 3D and 2D this week, uh, Tuesday through Thursday. Uh, Next, my Momentum Workshop Weekend in Walt Disney World this October 14th through the 17th now only has less than 20 seats available, including only three tickets for the optional Mastermind Day. If you're wondering what the Momentum Workshop Weekend is, if you are a solopreneur, an entrepreneur, you have an idea, you have a blog or a podcast or a product or service, if there's something that you want to to do and, and turn what you love into what you do, I have a weekend workshop that is two days, Saturday and Sunday, with an optional mastermind day. Now I have added a second day on Tuesday. So Saturday and Sunday with the optional Tuesday where it's limited to just 50 people. We have a number of great speakers and workshops, including Duncan Wardle, who you know was the former vice president of creativity and innovation for the Walt Disney Company. There in a very inter- intimate, interactive workshop type setting, focused on creating real results for you. To learn more, visit lumangelo.com slash Momentum17. I've extended the early bird pricing for just a couple more weeks. I would love to see you there. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me. 
Also, huge thanks to all the new and current and longtime members of the WW Radio Nation family, including some new members like Jimmy Swoop, Bob Ostrowski, Marcus Vowell, Michael Ross, and Courtney, Courtney Schubart. I sincerely appreciate your love and friendship and support. And if you want to not only help the show, but like them, get exclusive rewards every month, including scavenger hunts, access to our private Facebook group, personalized magic band covers, logo gear, care packages every month from Walt Disney World, exclusive live video group calls, and lots more, you can visit www.radio.com support. The purge, as I like to call it, of my personal Disney collection continues on eBay. I only have so much room on the shelf, and I think it's time to let some of these things go and share it with you. They begin and end every Sunday night. You can find the auctions at www.radio.com slash eBay. I'd love to hear from you, connect with you. Uh, if you want to send me an email, maybe to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com. Call the voicemail. Be heard on the air at 407 407- 900-9391 online. You connect with me. I am at Lou Mangello on all the social and please be sure to like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Radio. Of course, I believe that nothing beats a handshake and a hug and that is why I continue to do monthly meetups in Walt Disney World. Thanks everybody who came out to the meet in Disneyland. I'm working on June's right now. It'll probably be right before our cruise on June 24th, but stay tuned to the Facebook page for information and also check the Facebook page for other upcoming events, including our cruise to Alaska in 2018, our post D23 Expo special event announcement coming up very soon. That'll be the Monday after D23 Expo, Monday, July 17th, which just happens to be Disneyland's birthday. And I also do other meetups and events uh, on the road as I travel to speak at conferences and schools, which by the way, if I can either come to speak to your event or your school or your conference, or if you're looking for some help and want to work with me one-on-one to help turn your passion into your profession and with some personal mentoring or small group coaching, you can find out information about all those things over at loumangello.com. Thanks as always to Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider and booth partner over at D23 Expo this summer. You can visit them at mousefantravel.com for a free, no obligation quote. And of course, I want to thank you more than anything else and ask you that if you like the show, please do me a quick favor, help spread the word. However you think is the best and and way for you to do it to reach as many people as possible let others know about it tweet out that you're listening share a link to this or your favorite episode on facebook or if you're a member of a disney related facebook group you think they might enjoy it share it there and if you can take 30 seconds to rate and review the show over on itunes thanks to you we have more than 1200 five-star reviews we hit number two overall among all podcasts and itunes i want to thank a couple of recent reviewers like ote okay i think that's why i said it right it says, uh, this is the inspiration station. I absolutely fell in love with everything about the podcast. Lou's enthusiasm and energy inspire me so much. I can't wait to work with him to help me pursue my dream of becoming a speaker and presenter outside the corporate world I've lived in for the past 25 years. Ote, Ote, I'd love to be able to help you. Uh, Eric Hershey's, Hersey says, fantastic podcast. It's a mixture of planning advice, history, and great commentary. The best part of WWE Radio is the positive energy he brings to every episode. Thank you. He takes you on a journey and tells great stories during your adventure. It was the first Disney podcast I discovered and a wonderful gateway into the Disney community. 
PC Cartwright says it's a great resource for the novice and experienced Walt Disney World guest. Fun stories, useful information, and always something new to learn. And Jim Meek 55 says one of the great things to discover is this podcast that entertains and educates. I love going to Disney World and learning the little secrets that you go around. But Lou has brought so much more to than that to the forefront through the interviews. Uh, the list goes on and on. On a personal note, we've had several email correspondence with Lou. The things he says at the end of the podcast are genuine and heartfelt. He truly appreciates each and every listener and sincerely enjoys meeting everybody. Uh, Jim, you wrote a wonderful long thing. I won't read it all here, although I did read it off air. And thank you so very much for the wonderful, kind, and truly heartfelt and, and moving things that you said Um you finished by saying, there are enough words to convey how genuine and authentic his passion for Disney and for his listeners is. Thank you for being you. Jim, thank you. Thank you, all of you who listen and review the show. Again, you can leave a review over in iTunes. I cannot thank you enough again for the joy and the happiness and the blessing and the gift that you give me with by allowing me to do this and your attention and your time and your friendship and your love and if there's anything that I can do for you to say thank you and return that favor return that gift by all means please let me know and do the same thing right you know taking a quote from one of my favorite songs Disney or otherwise anywhere you know go out and feed the birds Uh, go out and do something kind and good for somebody else with no expectation of anything in return I I promise you um, it will be worth it and you will feel much better when you do. And speaking of feeling better, thank you. You make me feel better each and every week um, with the gift of your time and your friendship. And I hope that you have your best week ever. So much for making this outro short. Uh, I appreciate you. So until next time, see ya. Hi, Lou. This is Lisa from Columbia, Maryland. I just wanted to call and say I'm super excited. I just signed up for my fourth Disney Princess Half Marathon um, after a two-year hiatus, and I had a baby, so I'm so excited to get back down there and run. I started listening to you about two years ago, and I got caught up on all the episodes starting from number one a couple of months ago, and I always listen to you during my training runs. Um, I wanted to thank Lauren, who introduced me to your show a couple years ago, and wish her son, Miles, a happy second birthday. Thanks. Good morning, Lou Mangiello. It's Gabby Loxamana from Columbia, Maryland. Um, it's taken me a bit to call in, but I am calling in to say what a pleasure it was seeing you and other members of the WW Radio running team along both the 10K and half marathon courses during the dark side races a couple weeks back. Um, and thank you so much for deeming me the best sweaty hug of the day during the half marathon. Um, aside from the excitement with the races, I had quite an eventful weekend. It all started um, that weekend. It started on Friday when my boyfriend, Joe, and I came back to our room at the Poly, um, and we found a beautiful floral arrangement with a note directing us to a second surprise at Cinderella's Wishing Well um, in Magic Kingdom the next day at 1 p.m. So that next morning, Saturday, we ran the 10K together, went back to Polly, took a power nap, and then we were off to the Magic Kingdom. When we arrived at the Wishing Well, we found a note from Lilo saying we were going to embark on an adventure through the Magic Kingdom, chasing Stitch, who had stolen cake from us, and at the end of the hunt, we would be uh, rewarded with the cake and one last surprise. 
after an amazing like uh, amazing race style scavenger hunt, which was quite a bit of walking after a 10K and knowing that I had to run the half marathon the next day. Um, we ended up back at the wishing well, and Stitch had us blindfold each other for the final surprise. And when the moment came for us to remove our blindfolds, there was Joe in front of me down on one knee. <laughs> it was the single most magical and most amazing moment of my life. Um, I'll definitely be sending you the video compilation we made with all the video clips that Joe and I were taking during the scavenger hunt and pictures taken by our friend who happens to be a wedding photographer and conveniently was in Orlando the same weekend. Unbeknownst to me, Joe had hired him for the weekend in addition to flying down um, my closest friends. Uh it was just an amazing experience. I'm getting choked up thinking about it again. Um, but I just had to share it with you and everyone else um, who listens to WW Radio that knows and understands that Disney truly is the most magical place on earth. Um, thank you so much for all you do, Lou. Sorry I couldn't come to the meetup that weekend. I was a little occupied. <laughs> but have a great rest of the week, and I will talk to you later. Thank you so much. Bye. Hey, Lou. This is Carolyn Norton over in New Jersey, and I uh, just listened to your latest podcast, well, but was latest at the time, uh, regarding the Flower and Garden Festival. Um, it was great to hear your family out and about checking out the festival. Uh, when I first went to Disney World, uh, it was during the Flower and Garden Festival, and I just loved the flower quilt and all the topiaries and it's, it's amazing how much the festival has grown since then and that's only been in the last 10 years or so um, and now that I have two little toddlers um, uh, we've been taking vacations more off season nowadays uh, so I have been missing the flower and garden aspect of uh, Epcot but this year I'm going to be heading back out and Boy, I, I was already excited to head on out there, but when I listened to your podcast, it reminded me of so many things that I want to check out. Uh, I definitely want to do the tea tour. I definitely want to check out this butterfly area that your daughter loves so much. I'm sure my kids will love it, too. So needless to say, I'm, I'm extra ex excited now, more so because I get to see all these things with my kids. So I just wanted to thank you for reminding me uh, what I thought I already knew, but now I know more than ever that I love Flower and Garden, and I can't wait to see what they have out there this year. So thank you for everything you do. Love to see everyone Wednesdays on the uh, on the Facebook Live now, and uh, hope everything's going great. Lots of love to your family, and keep doing what you do. Lots of hugs. Bye. Hello, Mr. Lou Mangiello. This is Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York, calling in to say that you are now under 40 days at 35 days to go to the Double Dip Cruise. So exciting. Yay! Then I am now under 110 days at 109 days until I get out to Disneyland again. I am so excited. 
excited to be going to Disneyland with the Sternbergs. We're going to have a blast, just like you guys are going to have an amazing time on that double dip cruise at Castaway Key. Oh, I wish I was going to be there, but I can't because I'm planning to go to Disneyland. Have a wonderful, magical week, and always stay positive like Lou says. See you real soon. You've got a friend.